the award-winning Crunch Time. Pendlebury brings it away to Howe, to Dacos, and now to the run of Bobby Hill. He feeds it on relay style to Goey, who pumps it through for a goal. Oh, wow. they sweat it on Essendon on the wing like it was in a dark alley. And once the mugging happened, it was ruthless. Goey's on the wing. Little pause here, hits the my check short. David the Markov on the run. 80 from goal. Sends it in the McStay direction. Off the back. Ginnaman gets his moment. He gathers. He goes. He goes. Looks inside. He's caught. Dragged down. He was caught in two minds with a handball or kick. And in the end, he was caught. Play on, though. And it might be to Essendon's disadvantage. Penalty around the body to Josh Dacos. Oh, this will hurt. Essendon fans are ripable. And Josh Dacos makes it even worse. Side bottoms there after Ginnaman made the spoil. Slapped it to Ginnaman. Put it out in front of Bobby Hill. And the rest is academic. Bobby's on the burst. Two bounces, steadies and goals. Yeah, many. There's many parts of our game that we uh, we want to be and, and show and you know, pressure and you know, some of those unbelievable efforts. You know, how we smother in the ball 50 metres out and you know, Will, Hoskin, Will Hoskin Elliott spoiling the ball late in the game and looking desperate. Yeah, you know, I feel like the hunger within our group has been questionable, and uh, yeah, tonight I wouldn't thought you could question that. Yeah, you know, that part of our game. Collingwood put the finishing touches to their first minor premiership in 12 years with a rampant performance on Friday night footy. Now all eyes turn to the qualifying final. Who'll be there? And have the Magpies recaptured the form to match the mantle of flag favourites? No, we just outplayed in the first quarter and. You know, the reality where, where we are at the moment is that, like we've been consistent all year with where we're at, we've just got a, a heap of work to do. You know, we, we need to improve our list, we need to improve our football department, we need to improve right across the board. The observations of the, the last 9 to 12 months is nowhere near where it needs to be. So, we'll get that right. The Bombers crash and burn late in the home and away season, free-falling from fifth through a disastrous final stretch. What will Brad Scott do next in the quest to return Essendon to September? I spoke to the Swans. Jake Lloyd was underneath the post, thought it hit the post. I spoke to Brett Rosebeer as the officiating umpire who thought where he was, he thought it hit the post. So, you know, it clearly didn't. It was a clear mistake. It would have been home to review, but it was a mistake where we're working to mitigate if we can. Um, they you know, hurting after yesterday, um, understandably. Um, and reflecting, um, but at the same time, um, you know, his voice, real commitment to, to the role, um, and we're backing him in. And you're searching for the chemistry to reconcile with the with the emotion and the uh, and the headspace that you're after. And um, I've got no concerns that, that my messaging doesn't resonate with our group. Very, very, very excited. Um, I likened it to, to waking up on Christmas Day and walking out to a, a set of brand new toys, which is very exciting. You know. The quality people here and the quality playing list we have, we're, we're capable of doing some special things. And a tumultuous week on multiple fronts. The fires in Adelaide still rage. The Western Bulldogs are on trial like rarely before. And the future looks sunny on the Gold Coast. This is the Round 24 edition of Crunch Time. The Magpie fans would have seen a lot of what they hoped for last night. Essendon fans might have turned up with a sense of dread and that was realised within 15 minutes. A shockingly lopsided Friday night and that 
does tell the tale of two teams headed in different directions. Essendon's season is over. Collingwood are tuning up for the qualifying final. This is crunch time for the Berwick Motor Group. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group and Azito, powering DIYs all day, every day at Bunnings. Jared Waitley, Luke Hodgson is with me. Hello, Hodgie. Morning, Jared. It was a, uh, I think everyone knew the result of last night, what was going to happen when you saw the ins and outs from an Essendon team that lost by 120-odd points the week before. And then they, they probably had eight or nine of their, their best 22 out. So there was no surprise at the score. But I guess if you're a Collingwood supporter or a Collingwood player or, or coach, you're sitting here going, we've, we've done what we needed to. We, we've finished on top of the ladder. We've ticked the box. And we got through unscathed with... Uh, not many injuries. Elliot obviously got subbed, but I don't think that's a concern. And they'll be uh, having a relaxing beer today and just looking at the finals in a couple of weeks. Dermot Burton, welcome. Good morning. Yeah, the result we all thought we were going to get last night. But first of all, I'm I'm in a glowing mood Ooh. this morning. <laughs> and that is my faith in humanity has been restored. Numbnuts here left his wallet on the top of a petrol bowser. It got handed in. And that stuff inside it that the governments don't like you using, cash, was all there. Cash, there. Do you still carry cash? No one carries cash anymore. (laughs) Well, I like to. You're a little bit mysterious if you go to hand over cash. Where are you from? No, it was all there. Not that there was that much of it, but... How good is it? How good a public to actually be so honest? I mean, people are doing it tough out there. I mean, it, I, admittedly, it was at Costco. If I leave that on the floor at Frankston, I'm probably <laughs> thinking people will laugh at me and say, you deserve your right whack, numbnuts. But no, I'm, I'm in a glowing mood. How good is Very that? That's good. a win. I'm tipping it was a Hawthorne supporter. The fan. If it had been an Essendon supporter, that would have been thrown in the bin, cash and credit cards taken. Yeah. I'm tipping it might have something to do with the cameras that are above the petrol bells. <laughs> if you're a Collingwood fan, are you glowing today or are you just sitting the slight rider that they didn't face any competition last night? You are content that you're moving in the right direction. If they were the Collingwood of six weeks ago, we would have got four quarters of the first quarter. But they showed us that they're capable. The capabilities are there to run, gun and destroy a team in quick time. Thereafter, it turned into a dour struggle. Um, what was it? Three goals to eight after quarter time. So, yeah, the better team was you pulled away after quarter time, but the first team of the first quarter of Collingwood monstered Essendon like they should have. Tom Morris rounds out our foursome today. Hello to you, Tom. G'day, Jared. Well done, Derm and Hodgie. I've got to say, when the AFL fixtured this game 19 days ago, they would have desperately hoped that Essendon were playing this match to play finals. And then they lost against GWS, so that was out of reach. And really from the first quarter last night, it was game over. So there's a lot of implications for the Bombers. Implications for Collingwood are on the positive side when they're going to play in finals. And also Darcy Moore and Nick Dacos back. So they're well positioned now. Essendon's collapse is interesting. As they were fifth after round 17. Their supporters were being told to clear the decks for September. They were being forecast to finally break that finals drought. And some were even suggesting they could make a run at the top four. And the worst read of the year was that Essendon had this soft draw. Then they went to Geelong and they got annihilated. And really, it the rot set in. 77 points Geelong, 41 points the Bulldogs, two points against Sydney. That flattered to deceive because they were a mile back in that last quarter. They struggled to beat West Coast and North Melbourne, which did suggest where they were. Yeah. And then 126 points against the Giants and 70 points against Collingwood. There's... 
they backed out of the season badly. Yeah, they did. But I think if you sit back now and go, when they appointed Brad Scott and said, we're going to be sitting 10th after our last game, and there's obviously more games to come this round, they'll be sitting there going, we've had an okay season. We've had a pretty consistent season. There's no way they would have thought they would have been fighting for finals in Brad Scott's first year. They started the season really well and, and fatigue hit them. And I'm not sure whether it's the... The preseason, how hard they ran him into the ground over the preseason, but fatigue hit them late, injuries hit them late. But all in all, I think he's got to be sitting back going, even though the last six weeks was awful, he's got a lot to build on. He he, he spoke last night that he, he's got a clear focus on what he wants to set players, and that, that's never a great sign when a coach says he's he now can control their off-season, which means you'll come back fit. If you're not fit, you're in fat club effectively, what it used to be for hours. You've got to be doing more work. He wants to build a team that he can chop and change and not going to run out of legs the last six weeks. So if I was an Essendon supporter, there's so many positive signs. Frustrating the last five or six weeks, but if they're looking optimistic towards the future, I think they'd have a smile on their face. The, the issue for him, though, to face is that for a protracted period of time at the start of the season, he saw evidence that they can mix it for over... What was it? Did you say 15 weeks? Though? 17. Oh, 17. 17 rounds. 17 weeks is a pretty good snapshot. You've played all the league. You've played everybody at least once, bar one or, or two. So it's a really good snapshot that you are capable. And, yes, fatigue hit him. We saw that game on a Friday night. It was against the Dogs, yep. I think. And they you could just see them. And we called it the three, halfway through the third quarter. They are flagging. And they were still in the game, but you could see they were going out the back door. From that moment on, they've had no zest about them in reality. But if you were a, a Don's person in the hierarchy, you have got evidence that you're capable. So... To fall away as badly as they have is is pretty damning. Does that does that come down to the mental side of things? Because around Both that around all that plays in as as a player, the, a twenty three game season is long. So you fatigue. Everyone fatigues. Whether you're on top of the ladder or down the bottom, you're going to fatigue. But as soon as that man between years tells you, I am starting to get tired. I am starting to get sore. And Brad Scott come out and said around about round seventeen eighteen that we're looking fatigued. We're tired. The extra, he spoke about uh, the Adelaide round, uh, gather round, that that's an extra game of fatigue on for the players. If I'm a player and I'm feeling sore and my coach is giving me an out, all, all of a sudden you, you're starting to tell yourself, well, I don't have to do that. Well, I am a little bit. And people are sitting there going, surely you don't think like that. Players do. If what if you, you're if, a 150-game player, though? But that's the thing. Is if, if your coach is saying, giving you an out, saying, oh, we're fatigued, we're tired. Like that, if you look at Merritt and if you look at Paris, they, they still had impact last night. They still got plenty of the ball. I'm agreeing with you. I'm just trying to give you the opposite. But if you've, you've actually had eight seasons in the system, you would think that your coach is not talking about you. Well, he said as a group. So yeah, as, soon, I, as, soon, as soon as he says, we we, we look tired. Everything. But that's everything. If that's one person who doesn't make that contest, it feeds onto the next well, person. So, I mean, if it was you, if, if your coach said that, you, you would emotionally think to yourself, well, that's not me. No, if I'll still lead them. If your body's sore, you tell yourself all season, I'm fine, I'm fine. As soon as you get given an out, oh, hang on, maybe I am a little bit sore. Oh, we that, we that, actually that. discussed this last night as well and said, yeah, he gave them an yeah, out. Yeah, so we're on the same page. But I'm I'm trying to drill into the, the individual who is a gun, who has played but, but eight seasons and, and, and knows his craft. He doesn't allow himself to feel tired. But what I'm saying is they're – they don't have – it's not a gun midfield. It's, yes, they've got some really good players, but they don't have that team that have mentally strengthened have pushed through into September. They've got to the 1st of September and gone, I'm on holidays, I'm going to Bali. They started looking at that 
five weeks ago, as soon as they were given an out about, oh, I'm fatigued, I'm tired, I don't have to do that, we've only got five games left. That's how they played. So you reckon, I'm just, as I say, playing the devil's advocate, do you think Merritt and Parrish, Laverde, do you reckon these blokes thought, I've got an out? I That Tom Mitchell goal last night, when he outran, there was five Collingwood guys in the middle of the ground in and around Essendon supporters, in and around Essendon players. The five Collingwood players had an impact in touching that ball. They outran, they outworked the Essendon midfield down for Tommy Mitchell to kick that goal. I love Tommy Mitchell as a player, and I think we're chatting to him coming up. He's not beaten us in a leg for, in a leg race, let alone beating five Essendon midfielders. He's so good in and around, but his work rate, his mindset was, I'm going to get there. I'm going. To, this is my role. This is what I have to do. On the flip side, the Essendon players, it's a long season. It's not going. I'm just going to run. Those blokes would outrun Tommy Mitchell any day of the week. Well, but no, the will of Tommy Mitchell got him there. The final will of thing Essendon I'll say was then, not there. On that is, you, yes, you'll have to coach better. You'll have to schedule the fitness regime better. Get blokes in who are mentally harder. This is what I'm saying. This is where his message after the game was: I'm, I'm, I'm fearful but excited if I'm a Essendon player because Scotty last night was when we come back at preseason. I'm setting targets. And this is what we're. This is the standards we need to get to. Our standards at the moment are not there. If you can't play out. 23 rounds of football, then we shouldn't deserve to play finals as they're not. So he clearly said in his press conference last night, boys, saddle up. We're having a red-hot crack. This is going to be a huge off-season, a huge pre-season, and hopefully next week we might get to round 20 before fatigue. We might get into the finals before fatiguing. That's the mindset that he said last night, which if I'm an Essendon supporter, I'm sitting there going, perfect. This is where we need to go to be a successful team and play and have a win in the final, which we haven't had for however many thousand days. <laughs> Trust days, you, yeah. you know that. 3,000. And he's got all the ammunition that he needs because their last two weeks was defined by weak and uncommitted efforts. Yep. And if you wanted to clip them up from the two games, you could find so many of them. And for, I reckon for a coach, that's pretty rich source material to go at them with. Their last five quarters, I think it was 35 goals to two. 35 goals to five. So that was their last five goals, five quarters of football. And against GWS, who are on the fringe of playing eight, and against the Collingwood team, who, yes, they've played some really good football, but they haven't shot the lights out the last month. Even the Collingwood players said our form hasn't been great. So this is a, a part that they need to continue to build. Right. So what, what does the off-season hold for Essendon? What are the flashpoints, Tom? <clears throat> well, Darcy Parrish is the main one. He's their player that they'd love to re-sign. He would love to re-sign. But yet it hasn't been done yet. And there's this standoff between his management and the club. And it revolves around three things. A, the money. Um, B, the natural uptick in the CBA, which the club doesn't automatically give players. And some clubs do and some clubs don't. And the other is the tenure of the deal. So Darcy Parrish's team wants five, wants six years. Um, Essendon want to give five years. And at the moment, there's no give on either side. So until there is, this deal won't be getting done. And then other clubs, he's 26. And he's finished second in the best and fairest once. He was All-Australian. And he's had an injury troubled year this year. So he's the main one. The others are... His management's got delusions of grandeur. You think he's not worth six years? Absolutely not. What's the tangible difference between five years and six years if... You want to stay at the club that you were drafted That's to. That's right. It's, I reckon five years is a generous. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I, he, he's an, so he's sure. a nice player. I'm not so sure five years is going to work into it, or six years. Go, well, six years would because that'll be probably close to the the end. Five years leaves him with one or two years at the end, and he will be bargain basement price. When he's 31. When he's 31. Whereas if he did a three-year deal now, I know people, players love security, but if he did three years and had three very good years, he could get another three years. 
Mm. So it, it's kind of a weird. But they say this is his big at contract. That age. It's very normal now that at the age of 26, as mm. he is, you sign your big yeah, contract. But it's not for everyone. Like no. th- those tenures are for Oliver and Petrarca, who are in Brownlow Medal contention. Well, they got seven. They are for dominant key forwards like Charlie Curnow and the theory of Harry Mackay, which it's not for it's not for run of the mill good midfielders. So Zach Merritt got six, and, and he's the captain. He's the captain. The big difference between the captain and the other guy. Harry Himmelberg, key position player, got six at GWS. Dif- different market. Jack Steele got five at St Kilda. Captain, yeah. So th- that's probably the, the there's level, a isn't status it? that Parish doesn't measure up to. Mm. How, so, many, how many years would you have said that he has played as an elite midfielder in the AFL? Probably three. Well, three, three's a stretch. I can, I can one and a half. Yep. Yeah, oh, there's I, the one year where he he polled really well, and it's like, oh, hang on, he's got some touch, but he's not a bloke that you build your club around. He's a polished player on the top. And that's where, as far as giving a, a five, I think five's very generous. Six. If I was this, I wouldn't be signing on a six-year deal. Because he hasn't played consistent, dominant football enough to, as you said, to put into the Petrarca, to put into the Oliver status. He's still building. And his next three years might be his best three years. But take take your five years at the club who are offering you some good coin. Hopefully, you're going to be a leader there to build. And then they can use other money around to bring people in to help you succeed and play in September. This you is where elite. I think the market is no, very not. good. But there's a lot of very good midfielders. I mean, if you listed up the midfield, the true midfielders in the AFL, where would he... Where would he rank? He's not in the best eighteen, like one from each club. No, he's not in. He's not in the top. Is he in the top three of their club? Uh, you've, you've got, got merit. Is Shield if he's up and firing? He's been injured. Darcy prone. Parish is more reliable than Shield now. Yeah, yeah, Shield, yeah I'm Shield saying if he's up and firing. Winner. I just think managers. Uh, you can sign the wrong contract for your player and you can put them in the wrong circumstance. And I truly believe they're putting Darcy Parish in the wrong circumstance here. So if he goes. He'll be worth band one compensation, and that will give Essendon two picks in the first round for the first time since 2020. Would Would you think I'd be on my knees praying that he left? <laughs> would, would, would you think? <laughs> <laughs> That's a visual. <laughs> um, would you think that some other team would offer him a six-year, wow. seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars contract? Uh, I don't know that for a fact. I don't know, but the market. I'll, I'll be I'll, unless unless he wants to go back down the bottom of the ladder. Yeah. After what he's been through at Essendon, I think Scotty's. We, we've showed a bit early in the season, as we just spoke about. We've got a lot of upside. We've got a lot of salary cap room there's to no bring people in. There. They could slide backwards next year. I know, but there's, if you're if he's looking as a player to see what they've grown, to see that, how they spoke about Scotty coming in, what they did the first seventeen rounds. You're sitting there going, I can see a future at this football club. The only team that's going to offer him a six-year, $750,000 deal is a team that's down the bottom and struggling to get back up. Like a West Coast type. Exactly right. And yeah. does he want to go over there and play five years over there yeah. and be, well, where are we? Where, what are we doing? And it's not like Essendon don't have money. You speak to other clubs and managers. They're the, I hate using this term, but they have a war chest. They have a lot of money to spend and they're just choosing not to spend it on Darcy Parish. They'd prefer to spend it on getting Ben Mackay into the club or keeping Brent, Brandon Zirk Thatcher, which I don't think is going to happen. So they have other areas and Darcy Parish isn't their priority. Here we go. If I've played at a football club and you said the team that he got drafted to, Dermy said, stay there and sign on there. If I've had no final success in – how many years has he played now? Uh, well, he's eight. He's eight. A, he's a free agent. He's had no success in eight years. Mm. No success in eight years. I'd be giving up a little bit of money to have other people in and around me to help grow and actually play finals, have success, and try and grow to maybe play in a premiership before he's finished in his five or six years. But if he's going to go and take every cent that he needs, they're not going to get the people – around him to help him have success. And it was particularly jarring last night, Jared, because it was his 150th game. So he was 
up in lights. He was on the banner. He was on their social media accounts. Congratulations, Darcy Parish, 150. But with a little asterisk, is he staying or is he going? And at the moment, there's no movement on either side. What was the wash-up for Collingwood out of the night? Well, Collingwood, uh, well, first of all, Elliot will be okay. That's just a corky to his glute, as we mentioned earlier. Um, Collingwood are looking ahead to uh, their Thursday, likely Thursday night final um, in qualifying final week. So that will be at the MCG. The expectation is uh, at AFL House and also the Magpies that will be played on Thursday night, which will then allow them, if they lost, to play against the winner of 5v8 with a longer break than next week. And that is a slight shift from last year, but there's reasons why that is the case. The other thing for Collingwood is they're waiting on Darcy Moore, who trained yesterday. He trained really well, um, and he'll be fit for week one of finals. And the AFL program has a four-day break now. They'll come back, they'll train all through the week and through next weekend. And Nick Dacos won't play week one of finals, but if they did lose, they do expect him to be available for week two of finals and certainly a prelim final. So that's good news for them. So if it is... Melbourne and Collingwood, mm. which there's a few assumptions in there. It'll be Thursday night rather than Friday that, night. That's it. Yeah, yeah. and which then is a little bit surprising, I think. So did I explain it well enough? I'm not sure. The, yeah, the, yeah, you did. Yeah, but I'm surprised that they're sort of wedded to that, given that everyone's having the week off on the way through, and it's the difference between seven and eight days rather than. So I suspect your Friday night crowd is a whisker bigger than your Thursday night crowd, yep. and that if it were Melbourne and Collingwood, you're talking mid nineties. Like, yeah, I think you're talking ninety five, ninety six thousand on a Friday night. And look, there's implications if any player gets concussed this Sunday. Well, that's that's if, if Petrarca and Oliver run into each other and they both get knocked out, it's under the 12 days to play that Thursday. Mm. So uh, do they have the flexibility to move it to the Friday or not? I don't know answer to that. Well they, well, they could, but then they'd be sacrificing if Collingwood lost a seven-day break v an eight-day br- day break against Carlton if they win that I think that's that's not final. as big a deal, considering they've just come off a bye. A mm. seven-day break compared to an eight-day break isn't a big issue, I don't mm. think, especially after they've they've had a weekend off. Yeah. If it's at the end of the season or you didn't have that buy yet, fair enough, that, that might be into consideration. But the big thing is I think the AFL will be hoping that no one from Melbourne, no big name from Melbourne gets concussed because then that's going to be an uproar. If they've locked in the Collingwood-Melbourne game on a Thursday night and an Oliver or a Petrarca or a Maxi Gorn can't play. Yeah, where it felt more naturally suited on a Friday night. So in the list of what you needed to see out of Collingwood last night, did you get it? Yes. Oh, the spark was back. And I know... You, you, as a Collingwood player, you can only play against the people in front of you, and the people in front of you were witches' hats. Uh, and what, but what I did see was Dugowie bursting from the stoppage and think, "Oh, hang on, that's that's exciting. That's what we saw in the first eighteen rounds of the season." Ginevan came back in. He, he had a spark about him. He was good around goals. That's He's, the best game I've seen him play. Yeah, he he didn't worry about the. Yes, he got in the face of a couple of players, but he didn't worry about. Last week, I thought he was ninety percent trying to aggravate, ten percent to play football. This week, he was about playing football, and if you got the chance, you'd he'd get in the face of his opponent. But as a small forward, you naturally think they just want to kick goals. He seems to be having that team-first mindset, and I think that's pushed in from how the rest of the players are. But when he comes in, his first game back three weeks ago, he gave two Joe Gooses where he could have kicked goals. I'm thinking that might be the mm. the Collingwood culture that's brought in, and he's brought into it. Um, Bobby Hill back in the – like this little bit of spark, which they haven't had for the last month. They've looked a bit leg-dead, a bit fatigued, um, obviously played some good opponents. But what I did see from last night – a Collingwood supporter have a lot more hope than what they did for the previous month. In saying that, Melbourne aren't going to let them, if they play Melbourne in, in two weeks' time, they're not going to let them play free-flowing football like that. But it will give them a little bit of confidence that that bit of arrogance or a bit of confidence that Collingwood did play with is back. One of the things that Collingwood will have in their armoury against Melbourne is they have forwards who are capable of matching 
and halving the contest at least against the two intercept markers in the back line. And if you look at last week's game where Melbourne dourly fought against a, a resurgent Hawthorne, the intercept marking in the back line was quite pivotal in the end, in the overall scheme of things. That won't be a luxury they have against Collingwood. If you're taking on Myacek, if you're taking on Darcy Cameron, if you're taking on the rest in Ruckman, um, Mason Cox, it, it will be a different situation to pure intercept marking. And that's where the, the burst from the stoppage with the Dugowie and, and Tommy Mitchell was really good last night as well. But Melbourne's set up to intercept the ball. They set up assertive. They want to intercept mark the ball. If you've got blokes like Dugowie bursting from the front of the stoppage, all of a sudden, as a defender... You just want the play in front of you. You have to backtrack. You have to reposition yourself. That's the worst thing you can have as a defender, especially in assertive defence like Melbourne. You don't want anyone coming straight out the front of the stoppage. And if Collingwood can do that, they'll really pressure pressure Melbourne. But Which makes Elliot so important because he breaks up that type of yep. defence because he does get on the lead and he draws the footy. Do you think they're locked to Cameron and Cox as a combination? I, I, what I saw from Cox in the third quarter last week and some bits last night, that breaks open there. Like that tap that he did over top to Dugowie who missed on his left. He's sitting there going, oh, that, that was a little bit exciting. I reckon the midfield coach there will be going, oh, hang on, if we need more of that. What Cox did last week, if if Cox has got that, I spoke about arrogance, but it's it's confidence, it's ego, it's it's I'm better than you. And that's what you need. It's not, it's not a bad thing um, to a certain extent in football. But he had the... Arrogance or the competitive side against Oscar McInerney last week. And they thought, I'm going to jump over the top of you. I'm going to tap it off on Penelbury. Made Penelbury look really good in the middle because of his effective hits. If he can promise and commit and dedicate himself to being that kind of ruckman for the next four weeks, you have to go with Cox. And then the best sign of the night was to go out the front of the stoppage. Wasn't oh, he was it? so powerful, wasn't he? But I mean, even Chris, we laughed at one moment when Crispy put up the big. Don't argue, and he took on three Essendon <laughs> players. But Dugowie's power coming out yeah. of the front of the stoppage, his, his temperance of his, his tempering the ball by foot wasn't great, but eh, one game back and he'll, he'll feel that. So he's got to get better touch when he's exploding and then learn to, as I say, temper the kick. A couple of times he skied it over the leading forward's head, but it's exciting when he comes out of the front of the I, stoppage. I, I don't think... From a stoppage these days, it's not as as important to, to pierce and, and set up with a nice lace out kick as what it used to be. Helps. It, it does help. <laughs> it does help if you're a taller forward. But their their forward line when they've got Mycheck, McStay, Bobby Hill, Elliot, Hoskin Elliot, if you they're a, they're a small agile forward line. So sometimes if you're bursting from the stoppage and it is a bit of a mongrel punt and it just goes end over end, that can work to the favour of a forward because as we said before, Melbourne is set up for that intercept mark. Sometimes when it comes off his shin when he's bursting from a stoppage, it works into the Ford's advantage. I'd like you to tell that to Jamie Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look, he's he, he's probably the ones who benefit from it the most because he's quick, he's agile, and he's always the first one to react to a, a ball that doesn't kick perfectly. Tom Mitchell's about to join us. So his first year as a Magpie is going to see him play finals for the first time since 2018. You're listening to Crunch Time for Azito. Azito powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. Available after 10.30am for a limited time. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. A great play from Friday Night Footy. For Luxus Crates, the leaders in aluminium drainage, UV stable, rust proof and customizable on site. Lux's Greats, distributed Australia-wide. Underneath to Crisp, 
Collingwood set up out of half-back. Not a great kick, but Hill's there to gather and turn and attack. An attack they do. Adams takes the mark. Inside 50. Majacek kept off it. Crisp was there as well. So's Lipinski. The wave runners come and Mitchell finishes the job. What a goal. Oh, Collingwood out of half-back. Lux's greats, the leaders in customisable aluminium drainage. Tom Mitchell kicking the goal there. The Brownlow medalist of first-year Magpie going back to the finals for the first time since 2018. Tom, congratulations. Welcome to Crunch Time. Thanks, guys. It's good to be back playing finals footy again. Can't wait. Yeah, so give us just give us a bit more on your sense of, um, of getting back into September action. Yeah, it's obviously been a little while, and, um, you know, it's the reason you play footy, so just can't wait to sink my teeth in. Uh, all the other boys are no different. It's just going to be, you know, a really exciting time. I'm sure our fans are going to show up in massive numbers, and yeah, we can't wait to play whoever we come up against. We're not quite sure who that will be, but we'll find out over the weekend. Tommy, you must uh, pinch yourself when you got traded over to Collingwood, and then next thing you're rubbing shoulders with the goey Nick Dacos has stood up Pendlebury. Uh, it's it's been a fair season for yourself and and your teammates. Yeah, it's uh, it's been unreal. Um, you know, we feel as though we've got a pretty Pretty deep midfield, and we all kind of complement each other a little bit. We've obviously got the guys uh, with the burst and power, which, is, which isn't me, but we've got um, you know, uh, a few other guys on the inside, and yeah, everyone sort of complements and brings each, out each other's strengths. So uh, it's worked really well for us this year. How can you uh, how do you handle all the rotations? Because there's probably six or seven quality guys that can rotate through those three posi- positions in the midfield. How do you do with the, the mixing, the swapping, and, and sharing the workload? Yeah, I think it's a strength of our team. Um, you know, it allows you to keep intensity, fresh legs through the middle and, you know, the style of game we play, um, you know, we need intensity around the ball to pressure well and obviously when we run in waves and our handball chains and things. So, uh, yeah, it's short bursts in there, but, you know, we've got, um, as you mentioned, a lot of guys that go through, so it actually makes it a bit easier. Tom Dermott here. Congratulations, mate. I'm wrapped for you that you're playing finals again. Your role is a little bit more refined at Collingwood compared to... You had to be all things at Hawthorne because they were lower placed on the ladder. So what, is it more enjoyable playing that more refined role that, you know, you have a major task now rather than be a jack-of-all-trades in the middle? Yeah, I've really enjoyed, you know, just doing my bit and contributing, you know, like um, that's all we ask of every player in the team. You just go out there and, and do your job and the next guy do his job and, um, you know, that's led to a, a pretty consistent year in terms of win-loss. So, yeah, it's been good just to really hone in on um, a couple of things and flying the coaches have been unreal for me and it's instilled so much uh, belief in me to go out and play my strengths and, um, you know, give it to guys on the outside like the Goey, the Dacos boys, as, as you mentioned earlier. The in-game feeling in that first quarter, how did it feel as a Collingwood player compared to the the, the lofty heights that team set out some four, five, six weeks ago? Yeah, it was a, it was a great start to the game. We, we felt as though, you know, we wanted to really go into the game with a focus on our defence. That was our pressure and also our slow defence, um, you know, being really strong in our stance, pressing forward and our offense naturally flowed off that, so it was a real focus going to the game, and yeah, it, it helped us start really well. So that your best football of the season, which has been the best football of any team of the competition, did the first quarter feel a bit like that? Yeah, I think we've had you know some strong patches 
throughout the season. But yeah, it definitely did feel like that. We obviously had the momentum early in the game. You can feel the crowd get behind us, and when they get behind us, you sort of play off that energy as well. Tommy, uh, last week um, we saw you go straight up to uh, to Lockie Neal, and you had the job in and around the stoppages to, have, I guess. Make sure he didn't have much of an impact. It didn't look like that was your natural game, uh, where last night you were able to uh, chase and, and run and find the ball yourself. Did you have much of a discussion from last week to this year, this week about just playing your natural game or not really liking trying to shut down the uh, opposition's main midfielder? Yeah, I guess last week, you know, every week you get given a different role. And, um, you know, that was just sort of when he was in the area, um, go to him. It wasn't an official um, tag or anything like that, but... Um, yeah, I guess, you know, my strength as a player is uh, winning the ball, feeding it out, um, tackling, pressuring. So um, you can do that with or without any role, but um, that's what I try and focus on each week. It seemed like there was a lot of banter between the two of you as you were both business partners in the, the Ball Magnets app. There was a little chit-chat going on a fair bit, or there was a few push and shoves that I saw? Yeah, well, um, yeah, there was a little bit of, uh, little bit of um, back and forth out there, a bit more after the game as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I won't go into too much detail, but we had a few good laughs out there. <laughs> hey, Tommy, last night Craig McRae, after the game, said that the hunger within our group has been questionable. Is that the sort of thing that gets spoken about behind the scenes, and is that a tangible thing? Can you see it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's such a long season, as we know, and it's hard to win every game because it's such a tough competition. So I think it's natural for, you know, teams to have little lulls here and there, and, um, you know, when you a competitor and your, I guess, your hunger and competitiveness gets challenged by the coach, you want to respond to that and I think last night we did and hopefully we can carry that momentum into the first week of the finals. I'm sure you weren't aware of this before the game because you were preparing, but last night Graham Wright told Fox Footy that Nick Dacos wouldn't be playing week one of finals and then after the game Craig McRae said never say never. What's your view on Nick Dacos and his recovery and, uh, and how hard is he pushing it to be ready for the first couple of weeks of finals? Well, knowing Nick, he'd love to be out there and he's doing everything possible, as you mentioned. I think it is unlikely, uh, from what I know, but, you know, who knows? Like, if, if, he's, if he's right to go, we'd love to have him out there. But I'd say with someone with such a bright future ahead, um, you know, as much as we desperately want him back, I think you have to do the right thing, get the injury right, give it the respect it deserves, and uh, we'll get him back when, he, when he's right to go. Tommy... Jack Ginevan played his 39th game last night. I would think I'd say I'd, in the vicinity I've seen probably 34, 35 of them. I reckon that was his best game he's played last night. And it was more about the fact that he's using his talent, his ability, his nous to win the footy, rather than placing his success in somebody else's hands. Yeah, and it was good to see him get a, a free kick for two high. I'm not sure if you've seen the footage of Fly's reaction. It's hilarious. <laughs> I did. He uh, was laughing on the. He's, he held uh, up the finger and said, There's one. Yeah, correct. So he's had his head ripped off a few times. So it's good to see um, him get that one. But he was, um, yeah, he was great last night. His energy, he's tough. Uh, probably something that he's not externally renowned for. But when it's his turn to go, he goes. And as you said, he's real crafty around goals, really selfless. Like, he kicked three last night, but the last couple of weeks he's had, I'd say, five or six goal assists. He's willing to give it off to a guy in a better spot. So he's doing a great job getting in. Uh, Raptors to see him 
back of his hand doing really well. I thought he was fantastic. He stepped up when any of the key position players were out of out of the right area. He stepped up and was able to give sideways leads out to the wing or up into the centre square and receive that ball that was the outlet kick from the back line who were under a modicum of pressure. He was crafty the way he placed himself to receive that type of ball. Yeah, he's a smart footballer. I think that's one of his biggest strengths. You know, he's probably not as quick as a Bob McCreary or Bobby Hill, but he reads the game really well and, you know, he's able to get in those positions. I know the ones you're talking about when he finds space. And yeah. Fights for the outside. So, um, yeah, he's really smart in reacting early to get to those positions. And no one's as quick as Bobby Hill. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's lining. Tommy, you, uh, we all know that you love basketball and you've become tight with... Uh, Josh Giddy, who OKC, is it? Are you responsible for turning him, who was a avid Hawthorne supporter for his whole life, now Barry's for Collingwood? Is that you that uh, made that happen? Yeah, probably guilty of that. Um, yeah, so Kids is obviously in the ball magnets um, business as well, and he's running the basketball section. So um, I actually met him, yeah, when he was a, a Hawthorne man, but we were somehow converted him over. He um, he likes the uh, you know the big Friday night. Game which we seem to have a few of them at the moment. So he sort of jumped on board, and um, I think he's still got a soft spot for the Hawks, but I guess he's got to pick a team, doesn't he? <laughs> Tommy, Luke actually was talking about how flagging the, the Bombers were, and he says that when you outran them to kick that goal, he could beat you in a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> Who wins that Who wins that battle head-to-head? Well, what's the old saying? If you... If you, if you think smart, you don't have to run as hard. So uh, Hodgie's probably, he's probably the, uh, the icon of that, and I'm probably not far behind him. <laughs> Very good. Tom, you mentioned the depth of the midfield. So there was a stretch round 18 to 21, and you were involved as the sub in three of those four games. Was that – I'm curious how you found that, and was it at all unnerving, just wondering, am I going to be there right at the pointy end? No, not really. You know, like I – it's such a long season, as we mentioned, and we've had opportunities throughout the year to look after the guys 30-plus. You'd love to play every game, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it is tough as you get a bit older. So I think it's, you know, been some smart management throughout the year. And, um, you know, in terms of playing a particular role for a certain day, you know, if you're playing less minutes, it's not about the individual. And uh, everyone's completely on board with that. So, um, yeah, 100% on board with whatever the coaches need from me every week and you just go out and do your job and if the team's getting the results that's all we can ask for. And more than a decade in the game you've just ticked over 30 you've experienced a lot a Brownlow you've been to a grand final how much does the the lure of a premiership burn for you? Yeah it's everything it's, um, it's what we all dream of isn't it? Um, Hodgie did it for fun won four of them so um, yeah it'd be great you know it's, it's what we're striving for um, our list you know, he's in a great position. We're pretty healthy and, yeah, we'll be doing everything possible to give it our best crack. Terrific, Tom. Great to have you with us on Crunch Time. Good luck for what's to come. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Hodgie holds right of way here with our premiership waiting, doesn't he? Sorry about that, Derm. He left you out there, mate. <laughs> you should have seen Derm's face when he mentioned Hodgie, not Derm. Derm has five. Oh, no, no. Hodgie won him for fun. I got bored of him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're on crunch time. That's last night's material. We're going to delve into all the events of the week and then set you up for round 24 and all the issues at play right now next. 
The Round 4, 24 edition of Crunch Time. Dermot Burton and Luke Hodge are on duty. Crunch Time is for Azito powering DIYs all day, every day at Bunnings. So let's go to the, the fire starters of the week, shall we? Um, how are they going in Adelaide, <laughs> Tom Morris? This arc debacle has, um, well, it's emanated all week and it's continued to bubble all week. So I thought... There's a lot of people that don't know how the arc works behind the scenes, operationally, who's actually involved um, and, and, and how, it, how it works. So um, this is what happens. There, behind the scenes, there's three and now four people who are operating this arc system. There's always been officials. So there's an operator who does the cameras. He's an, he's a, he or she is a Hawkeye person. There's a score review officer. They call it an SRO, Hodgie. <laughs> and there is a supervisor. That's the voice that you hear. Now... Because the, uh, due to the response from Saturday's debacle, there's two SROs in the arc. And this gives them another person who can initiate a review quickly. Now, it's uh, before a couple of days ago. That, that sounds a little bit like bureaucracy gone mad. A little bit. Whatever it's worth. But before a couple of days ago, I was of the belief, and I believe so with clubs, that if it, if it is a behind, there is no way that it can be reviewed unless the goal umpire calls for a soft Mm-hmm. called a soft signal. But what I've uncovered is that there is an avenue for a silent review if the people in the arc are quick enough. So if the ball goes through for a behind or a goal... They've got to watch the tape before the team quickly. picks the ball up and kicks it in. Before the they, ball gets kicked in. So this has all been brought in. Extra person's been brought in. They wouldn't have had time. Sydney picked the ball up and kicked it in in a matter of seconds. Yeah, that's right. So, in that, in, so they brought in extra person to try and stop this, and it wouldn't have helped this incident anyway. But the rider on that is we have definitive proof because of the uh, infringement on the interchange, North Melbourne v Sydney, that they send a message out to the umpire, and the umpire... After that infringement, says, hang on, I've got to take this information. Mm. And they are further down the field. Yep. And they say, no, free kick. And so we have – that is proof that they will stop play a period after the infringement. Okay, so if they – so if this happens this week coming up and Sydney – Sydney's the team who's kicking the ball. If they kick the ball in and it's sitting on the halfback flank, they have the right now to go out to the umpire and say – all right, stop that. That was actually a goal, not a point. We've got to bring it back, call it a goal, and then start it up. No, no. no. So we don't have that. that that's the what I'm saying. So the they'll, they'll is, should we have that? Yeah, they're able to do that with the interchange. Them saying, if we're going to bring in an extra person that can get the right score, then why can't they do the same thing? Yeah, so the law on the interchange why. infringement is written that at the next stoppage in play, mm-hmm. that's when it is applied. So for wherever it happens, play naturally continues on, whereas that's not the case in the writing of the score review yet. But that's it's well, really possible. It. Yeah. I was going to say, why could it? If, if it's the right outcome and it's this five seconds has gone out off the clock for Sydney to get the ball out to the other back flank, they call call it back and say that was a goal. We're putting the five seconds back on the clock. We're going to give it a goal. You go back to the centre. Anything yeah. that happens thereafter, in reality, didn't exist. Yeah. It gets well, wiped. I don't think this is going to happen again because this has happened once where yeah, we've called it a point when it was a clear goal. There'll be a no, there'll <laughs> be a new there'll be a different derivative of it. Yeah. Uh, the exact same thing won't happen again. If, so if, I was really interested last night's score review. So there was a soft signal for a goal umpire and a behind, which was a goal. McStay poked it through. And this is where I think, so did the goal umpire actually have a view of what it was? What was he having a stab at? And what did he think took mm. place? Like that's very relevant information because he saw something that wasn't there. Or he's obliged to make something up when he doesn't really know well, what happened. It's the latter. So, and that's the problem. Mm. 
So the soft call only has worth if the goal umpire is certain of what happened. It's like a catch And then has it double checked. Or you go, hey, I'm not quite sure what happened there. Mm. Balance of probabilities from the arc. Like within so the system, that would be, that's another alteration that should be made. So the the one the mixed day goal last night where you could see one side angle you couldn't see because the umpire was blocked, the players were in the road. One vision you could see that they clearly kicked the goal. What happens if that camera angle is blocked as well? And yeah. the umpire, so the umpire says, I don't know. And then vision has been blocked from both angles and you can't tell. Is it a ball up, a point, well, a goal? So I, would, I would say to you that's where you have to have a system where all your camera angles aren't going to be blocked. So that's the advance in technology that's required. And then you go on the best available angle. That's surely better than the goal umpire obliged to make something up on the spot when he's not quite sure what happened. And Jared, this was the issue with catches in cricket, because field umpire or umpires on the field were obliged to make a soft call when, in fact, they had absolutely no idea what happened. It all happened too quick. And goal umpires have been told this week: if you have any doubt whatsoever, call for a review. Do not be concerned if the review is unnecessary. You don't get marked down if you over-review. You get marked down if you get the decision wrong. And that's what they've been reminded of this week. But that, that's the same thing. The bloke last week had no doubt. He was, right. he was adamant. So that's what we're saying. The umpire's there to make a call. If, if it's a field umpire who makes the same blunder, we're like, oh, that's a party's. That's, he's made a mistake. So it's you sort of – I know what you're saying, Jared, but if he, if he feels it was a goal – so last night he assumed that he was touched. That, that's, that's what he felt. And before we had camera angles and all that, that's what we went off. The umpires – we've got camera angles now to try and help the umpires make that decision to get the right outcome. Sometimes it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, which is why you have to have the catch-all in underneath that even though your goal umpire feels like he's certain and signals, we're checking in the next 12 seconds. We don't care if play's moved on or not. Correct. And there are systems all around the world that have these layers in place that we don't have in the AFL. So you can can get that right last week. You can absorb the human error and have the catch-alls in place. You can get that right last night. Is And the philosophy has to be let's solve all the ones that can be solved and we recognise that in all of sport there'll be moments that just can't be adequately resolved, and we'll wear those ones. Yeah, but, but what the you're doing is limiting we'll, them. Yeah. You, you, you're decreasing the amount of those unrecognisable, yeah. totally unrecognisable moments. But if you've got the technology, employ it. There's four people sitting there using the technology, and all they have to do for that silent review after a behind is push a button. And then a notification goes off in the ear of all the field umpires, all the boundary umpires, all the goal umpires, and they call for it straight away. So if they can get that vision within five or six seconds before the play kicks out, that can be done. But that wouldn't have helped last week yep. in that instance. What and happens I, if they – I'm not trying to be mm. pedantic. What happens if they ascertain that status of that goal 10 to 15 seconds, which is feasible that they could do so? As soon as the play kicks it, it, you can't bring it back. Why, why can't you? That's the laws of the game as it stands. As the AFL written, has yeah. no appetite I, at the sorry, moment to change okay, that. Okay, so that's as it's written now. Yeah. Why can't we move forward and rewrite that and say, well, that didn't exist if the wrong decision was, yeah. was sought? That's the summer homework assignment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll join you, Derm. While you're praying. <laughs> On your knees. <laughs> All right, this is crunch time at the awkwardness of North Melbourne's game today and how that's been spoken of. Is this the last time through for Adam Simpson as the Eagles coach and the Bulldogs uh, on trial right now and for what moves might happen in the off-season? You're listening to Crunch Time.
Sounds 24 edition of Crunch Time. Jared Waitley, Tom Morris, Luke Hodge and Dermot Brereton in place as we wait for the final shakeouts, what the finals will look like at the close of play on Sunday. It has been a big news week. For Repco authorised service for expert car service, you can rely on book online at repcoservice.com. So let's go through a bit. We'll start with the North Melbourne game today. Is there a degree of awkwardness that sits on this? Or I feel for North here. They haven't been good enough to win since round two. Why would we would be assuming they're good enough to win today? <laughs> no, with all McDonald's out as well. Zeebel's obviously retired. They've rested how, I think. Look, Clarko's natural instinct is a winner. Well, he, he wants to win. He's competitive. But at the same time, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, geez, I hope we don't play too well. Because, as I said, the, the amount of talk that has been about Harley Reid, the fact that North were going to have to swap with West Coast, and then all of a sudden West Coast did the doggies last week, which is number one pick fell into their hands. Um, he'll be coaching a team today to try and prove to them that we've got a future, we've got good quality young kids, and we're better than the Gold Coast Suns. But at the same time, everyone else in and around we sit there going, if we lose, it's not the worst thing for our club. And I know a lot of the supporters are sitting there thinking the same thing. They want to see a good style of football. But at the end of the day, as much as it's painful to sit number 18, when draft day comes and you're picking out pick number one, I reckon they'll be pretty happy with that. They just, even if they have a go, they can't win. <laughs> the other guys win. Suns are a superior team to them. At this point in time, their players are better. They've let a couple out of their side as well, but and they you know, brought a couple in who look like that could be. I mean, well done to Burgess, who's made a career for himself, but I can't see him pressing on beyond this year. There's a couple of others in, in similar. Sexton, probably, I would say that it'd be curtains for him as well. But what they are at this point in time and what we've seen their capabilities do, admittedly every second week, there's I don't think there's any possible way that North Melbourne can beat them. But this this is a season where that can happen. Like if you look yeah. there's no way West Coast were coming over to the Bulldogs and beating them. And but that's why what? I reckon the, <laughs> the, the the microscope hasn't been placed hard and hardly enough on the doggies. I mean if you had really looked into Several weeks ago, the way that Essendon just got over the West Coast Eagles, you'd say, what's going on there? It's all looking back at it now. The, the jigsaw puzzle has fitted together. They they really have been awful. This this season, it, we, everything's easier in hindsight, looking back and reading the map of the journey. But the, they are a spasmodic team, the Gold Coast Suns, but their best footy is pretty good. They knocked over Brisbane three, four weeks ago. On, on what could be considered, I know it's their home ground, but it's kind of neutral-ish, half Brisbane, comfortable, you know. There's no flight there when they go down the road. What's it? They, they do hate that ground. They've got a shocking record of it. Hideous record. So the layers in underneath it, right? So there's there was an awkwardness around tanking when um, the Eagles didn't beat Essendon, but then they came out and won the game and conceded their place at the bottom of the ladder. North haven't won since round two. I feel like the tanking issue is confected. It's a really interesting talking point, but it's not real. If you had the lottery, you have to run the very real... So North Melbourne are desperately in need of assistance and West Coast are just starting a long-term project, which is going to be a drag on the comp for a few years. Mm -hmm. You would have the very real prospect of Hawthorne ending up with Harley Reid and Hawthorne, frankly, don't need... Harley Reid to rise, they would love him. And then the fourth contender would be Gold Coast. 
they don't need another number one draft pick. Mm. So if you are running the idea, I feel like people have it both ways with the lottery. That'll save the tanking issue, but the number one pick will still end up in the right hands. No, it won't. Mm. Is If Hawthorne drew the lottery and got Harley Reid, wow. That Two teams who are in desperate, desperate need of talent through the door and Hawthorne have been accumulating talent. That, that, that would be much worse than one game that we're worried about the integrity of the outcome. That is true. Yeah, that's, that's a logical summary of the entire situation. I just like the excitement of it. Sit down there waiting to see if your, <laughs> your name gets gets drawn out. That actually is exciting to watch with, with the NBA. But you're right, as far as the tanking side of thing, it's not like the, the Melbourne days when they threw Ruckman around. Like You're not going to have Nick Paul Larky. Paul Johnson in the back pocket. Nick Larky's not going to line up a centre-half back today. Mm. I'm tipping after he's kicked 70-odd goals for the year. So I, I reckon as much as we talk about it and oh, North don't want to win, the Clarko mindset, we were in the same position in 2006 where we were bottom the whole year. We won the last four games and it gave momentum. And his mindset wasn't about losing games so we can get a better draft pick. His momentum was about this is a group where we've got to start a winning culture. We've got to start a winning mentality. And by throwing a game for a draft pick, which you don't even know in five years' time if that's going to be the right pick for you, it's too much to try and set the standard for your for your players by setting the wrong one, by just to try and get a pick, pick that you don't know the future of that player. What does the idea around assistance for North Melbourne look like at the moment? So it's important to separate compensation from assistance. So compensation is Ben Mackay if he leaves. Band one compensation is pick two if North finish. Uh, is is that ladder. a set criteria or can the AFL tweak it like they've done well, in the past? Well, I've double-checked this the last 24 hours and I know there's a lot of um, ambiguity around it. I know there's a lot of doubt around it, but it is based on a formula relating to a number of things. How old the player is, their uh, project, projected salary over the next five or six years, however long the contract is, and also who is in the trade market that year. So if Ben Mackay is being paid $750,000 by, let's say, Essendon, then we're going to know about it because North Melbourne will tell people that they're not going to keep him because Essendon are paying that much. Just like we knew what Zach Williams was getting paid at Carlton and Jeremy Cameron at Geelong. So it's a big risk for the AFL to try yeah, to fudge it if we know what the, he's being paid. The AFL have got four different categories that you just mentioned that they can manipulate either one to get the outcome that they want. And the muddying the waters is the Danaher contract, which was yes. presented and then renegotiated among a deep suspicion at other clubs that it was always the latter, but it was presented at the form as the former to meet the compensation. That's right. That does muddy the waters. So that's the compensation. And I'm still not flat about us getting picked 19 for Bud. I'm, <laughs> 10 million, I'm not, I'm <laughs> Ten not years flat ago. about that at all. And uh, Melbourne get picked three for James Frawley. Yeah. Not flat at all. But surely the AFL can have, the, out of those four categories, can manipulate it to get the outcome that they want. Well, they can manipulate the special assistance more. And yep. the special assistance is what North Melbourne haven't yet uh, formally applied for, but they will. And it's unprecedented as far as I can tell, Jared, that a club applies for special assistance and within that asks for a specific player to be included in their next generation mm. academy, which is Riley Sanders. So the first year North Melbourne applied for it when they finished last, didn't get anything. Last year, they got a future second and a future third round pick that they had to trade for. They did. They got Griffin Logue and Darcy Tucker. This year, if they apply for it formally and the commission grants it on in grand final week on the Brandlow Medal Day and it's Riley Sanders there will be an uprising at clubs around the league because it will be seen as completely corrupt and not the right thing to do to allow a player to go to a club via special assistance. It, it, it's all set up for that, but I, I still 
lean towards the fact that the commission won't allow it. It's just too unprecedented. Unfettered. What does special assistance look like if it's not it, if it's not a specific player? What should it look like? Well, last year it was a future second and future third round pick. Um, St Kilda got a. a a priority pick, which allowed them to get Nick Rewalt and Justin Kaczynski in the same draft. So there's many different ways. And one of the risks that North Melbourne has, or they don't want to ask for too much and get nothing. So if they ask for Riley Sanders and don't get him, then they get nothing. So they have to work out how hard do they push mm. the commission and the AFL. And the commission will take guidance from the AFL, but it will make its own decision. And that will be Brownlow Medal Day. Yeah, so what, what chances we sit here now, do you think that they get Sanders one and two? I don't think so. No. I think they get one and two, and I think the commission will balk at the Sanders request because it is too unprecedented, and the view from other clubs is that it just can't happen. So Riley Sanders... So at that stage, that, that's, there's zero assistance. That's so right. this is why... That's right. That I, I feel like they'll end up getting something that allows them to trade to try to get Sanders under their own steam. So they might get the pick at the end of round one. Potentially. Uh, and then they have to figure out whether they can do enough with what they've got to trade themselves up to six or eight. Where is Sanders rated? Sanders. He's a top 10, if not top five. Socks up, midfielder. He won the Lark medal for the best player in the under-18 competition. He's from Tasmania, and he's just received his certificate of Aboriginality, which allows him to be part of the Next Generation Academy. But he hasn't been in that academy because he hasn't received that certificate until just recently. So for the AFL to, for the AFL to then give Sanders to North Melbourne, it would appear as if they're just doing that to appease their assistance. And a lot of clubs wouldn't be happy with that. And I don't think the I actually don't think the commission will do it. No, but but and what you've just said yeah. is two is compensation. Yes, one is their level of hopelessness. Yeah, is so far there's no assistance. So far, so yeah, so. Uh, once they've got one and two, are they entitled to assistance? That's, so I think that's a really interesting question well, for them all to ponder. North Melbourne would argue that they are two completely separate things. And they are. Because they are entitled to one, and two is because they've got a centre-half back who leaves, and then assistance is a different conversation altogether. Yeah. And then what sort of assistance do they need? So that's where it's at at the moment. And we'll know they haven't applied formally North Melbourne, but we know that this conversation is being had because it's in the media and... Um, and the AFL is aware of those conversations being had behind the scenes. You took us to the Bulldogs. So th- their scenario is really interesting at the moment. They're playing tonight to win a place back in the eight, and then they'll be at the mercy of the Giants. So it could be the identical scenario to last year where their fate is directly wedded to Carlton, just the opposite outcome. So does it represent progress year on year? No. Could they do damage in a final series? That's up to them to try to figure out. It's been an interesting week. So they circle the wagons on Monday after the worst loss of the Luke Beveridge era in a home and away game. Marcus Bontempelli, Chris Grant. So they guaranteed the coach the job to, t- to try to take the air out of that. There's clearly change coming. You didn't have to read between the lines to understand that there's significant change coming. And then Luke Beveridge spoke yesterday around, well, you can't sit around and sing Kumbaya after you've just <laughs> lost to West Coast. So his circumstance, knowing that he's coaching on, is a really interesting one as to what happens next. They, they are so, such a fascination. And we've, we've, we've had so, uh, so many analogies of this team, what they're capable of. They beat up, they're beat up on the jobbers and they get taken to task by the blokes who are at the top end of the ladder. They want for nothing everything they've wanted. They've gone out and sought and... 
procured. They've got the key backman that they wanted uh, in Liam Jones, and he they originally went out and got Alex Keith as an intercept backer, and they turned him into a lockdown backman. And they have so many aspects to them, so many layers. They've got Adam Trelaw, who fell into their laps, and they gave them midfield depth. Bailey Smith has become a, a brilliant player, and now he's slid backwards in his in his uh, standings in the league. They have the best. I see the ball, I run and I jump at it, key forward in the comp. In Aaron Norton, does he get the ball through the goals? That's another question. Does he get on first? (laughs) But he runs at it and marks it like no other key forward. They have a number one draft pick who's come up and has got there so much faster than I thought he would. In Jamara, they have pace on the outside. They have a clever, crafty, small forward in Cody Waitman. They they want for nothing. Their game style around the footy when they win stoppage, which they are brilliant, the stoppage team. And then they kind of hold the ball at stoppage and just it festers for two or three seconds and allows the opposition to get back. But the one thing that really concerns me for all those aspects of their game, they have a bloke who's going to go down as an all-time great, Bondampilly. His body of work so far is good enough to suggest he'll be an all-time great. There are certain lists, like we could apply the terminology to Melbourne. They're too good that list to be a one premiership team. Don't let you finish your days, Melbourne, and just have one premiership. Don't let Mark, Marcus Bontempelli play in one premiership seven years ago. He's too good. You need players around him while he is still the uber-predator midfielder in the competition at the way he plays midfield. They've got to be able to strike while he's at his best football. Yeah, and so they're not. He's 28 next year. He's at 215 games. So it's the don't waste the 60 best games. years of Marcus Bontempelli's he's, career. Is, could is go this, longer, but he's got another gonna, 60 of awesome games. Is this the list that's going to get him there? You, you go, is Norton, where's he with his contract? Has English made a decision yet? Are they going to hold on? Or are they going to strip him down and go, let's get some more people back in? Because Smith, we don't know if he's staying or going to Geelong or... There's a lot of questions over, is this list going to get him there? That's the fascination with them. Who who do they part with to say, well, let's bring in some different people? They brought in Lobb on a massive contract for what he can produce as a player. And he is superfluous to their needs. And he was when they were bringing him in. It was a weird weird decision. Their chips in now, I reckon this is the really interesting tension point around it. So their chips in and beverages extended for two years. So this is, I feel like this is the off-season where you make all that peripheral change and it either works and you win it or it doesn't and you go, okay, we're going to actually have to pull this apart, coach down. But because they're chips in now, I think they will they'll make, that, they'll make the Hardwick changes that yep. Richmond made in 2016 and see, see if they're right or not for a year. Do they have much cap space to chase? Not particularly, but they also have Bailey Smith and Tim English, Jamara Hagen, and Aaron Norton, all out of contract next year. And I can't think of a club that has four established players like that out of contract at the one Clarify time Clarify that. Year. You mean out of contract next year. So they play 2024 for the that's Dogs, right, and yeah. then they're out. And okay. that's that means why they need to I make think, room. That's yeah. why I think they are don't, – don't disrupt it for next year. Mm. 
and just see if you can get the change in dynamic that you're searching for. With what we've seen with premiership sides don't need a dominant ruckman. And English will you'll get a lot back for, for helps. Does do you you've committed to Lob now? Do you put Lob as the ruck and say, Tim, thanks for your service. What can we get for you? I love Rory, but he's not a beast enough to be a premiership. But what I'm saying, but what I'm saying, they they brought him in. He's not he's not going to outdo Norton for your key forward. Eugle Hagen's probably going to get a spot before him. He's sort of sitting in between. But they, they need to make a call here because you go through and the list isn't going to get a premiership. Who do they? Who are they going to give up to bring one or two or three? So what do you think help? they need? What What do you think they need? Well, first of all, they need durable backmen. Like they've had a they've had a, a shocking year with backs when getting injured. All their big key players have missed. If you're the Jones with his shoulder, I think early in the year, mm-hmm. Bruce did his knees had injuries throughout the year. Keith had that concussion when we were down there. They were dominating that play. They've had no, they haven't had a yeah. setback six. But as far as looking through, I'd want an, another exciting forward or an outside mid. They've got yeah. a lot of inside mids. I'd want someone who can break, which is a Bailey Smith, and that's what he was. But they're playing as that high half forward now. It's a different role for him. If, if you speak to rival clubs, as I have done this week, they're after younger midfield depth and more speed through that area. They feel they're well-stocked in defence. They've got Jed Buzzlinger, who hasn't played a game, I don't think. He was picked 12 in last year's draft, and he is a key defender. They're well-stocked up forward. They want younger midfield depth and outside run. So you are right in that instance. And that is what they've told other clubs, and that's what player managers believe as well. How they can get those players is another issue altogether. But if how they move the ball, it's not really going to play into their hands as a small... Because as Derm said before, they win the clearance, but it's not like a dominant win the clearance. And you saw what Collingwood did last night. They win the clearance and yeah. they burst and forward. And that's the change yeah. they need. Yep. So they clearly need differing voices in their coaching staff. And that'll happen, Jared. There'll be more changes than what we've seen already. And... That'll be worked through this week if they lose and might be a couple of weeks away if they win and make finals. But that will happen. It's, it's not no, easy for a, hasn't played. Not easy no, for, a, uh, for a coach to change the tactics, considering it's worked so well. It suits Bond. It suits Liber. It suits these guys. But how does it work so well? As far, no, as far as a, a coach's mindset, this is, this is, if we talk about the Bulldogs, you think a strength of their game is their stoppage work. <laughs> And then what I know, I know what you say they win the stoppage, but they, what I'm saying is they don't. They don't they may use, as well not win the stoppage. They don't use it well enough. That's what I'm saying. So, so a team like Richmond, when they were in their domination period, they didn't win the stoppage. But what they did was Transition. win it at the other end, and then they go through you like a hot knife through butter. What I'm going. What I'm they saying. They don't. At, this team doesn't. Is is what I'm saying to him is he needs to release that the mindset that he's got in around stoppage because this is the way he's coached them the whole time. And yes, it worked in 2016, but they came from seventh. They weren't a, weren't a dominant team all year. He needs to release. The, the stronghold that he's got on that stoppage area and say, what else can work? What can we do with the group that we've got to help turn us into a, a more attacking offensive? And the way the game's going, look at how Port Adelaide moving the ball, look how the Lions move the ball, look how Collingwood move the ball. It's aggressive, fast ball movement. That's not what they're known for. We spoke to a fellow, Tom Mitchell, 45 minutes ago, and he had to be everything to Hawthorne. But because of the way he plays, he kind of slowed the ball up when the ball passed through him in general play when he received the footy. But his number one go-to action was putting his nose in to the pit and winning the ball at the stoppage. Jack McRae, he's not even... They have reduced his time in the middle because you've got Libba, who's a nose-in first. Bontempelli can be a nose-in first, but he can tear away from stoppage. So Jack McRae would be, I think, his DNA is nose-into-the-trough type player because he's on the outside, he's a chip and half-charge, accumulate short possession. He keeps the ball at stoppage. He needs to be in a team where they say, 
go in, find the ball, and we want you coming off with your elbows and your knees covered in mud because you've been scratching around in the dirt for it, instead of pushing forward into the half-forward line and kind of winning a few possessions here and there. He's not playing to his DNA. And I wonder whether he's worth more to the doggies as a trade to somebody else who can get full tote value from his attributes. They're, they're just playing in there to try and make up for the Dunkley. Dunkley was that high half forward who could well, do that kind of stuff. Well, he was the third one of them. But at least he could take a catch in the forward line under heat and under pressure. McRae doesn't do that. He's, he's, he's the, he, he doesn't win the ball in the forward line under real heat. If you, if you want to be a, a capable forward who presses forward, you've got to have some form of explosiveness in one of your forward-winning activities. He doesn't have that. Jack McRae's contract at the end of 2027, so that would be a significant move if they decided to do that. But Bailey Smith, as we, as we said before, is contracted to the end of next year when he becomes a free agent. And there's been Sam Edmund first put this on the agenda, actually talking about Geelong and their interest in him. It was denied by the Herald Sun. Um, it's certainly there. It's just how this deal gets done because it is delicate. Bailey Smith, what what is he worth in a trade discussion? Is he worth the player that he was in 2021 in the final series or the player that he is now? And he's had a mixed season. And as I said earlier this week, his, he can he, be that player again. But he's though. adamant that he wants to play more midfield. He's played 44% midfield this year. And other mm-hmm. clubs are aware of that. And then would, would the Bulldogs stand in the way and say, we need the same deal that we asked Essendon for Josh Dunkley for, which was two first-round picks, or would they say one first-round pick is enough? And Geelong have pick eight, but then they don't have another pick to pick 82. So would they be able to give up pick eight? Would they be willing to give up pick eight for Bailey Smith? And would that be enough? There's still a lot of water to go under this bridge. Or do the Cats say, just wait 12 months and we can get him next year when he's out of contract? Yeah, you wouldn't spend pick eight on Bailey Smith. No. But that's, that's hard for him because he's clearly not playing the position. He, he's a winger. He wants a free-flowing, fast-intensity style of football, which the Doggies aren't willing to play unless they do make the changes down that you are talking about. Going to Geelong, I reckon... Suits his run like they, mm. Scott. How Scotty changed their game style two years ago just to be free flowing run. Isaac Smith loved it. It would be a replacement for Isaac Smith. Just on Chris Grant, their football boss, Jared. He was on with you earlier this week, and what piqued my interest was his uh, mention of a mid-season review. They started reviewing the club internally mid-season more than they have otherwise in previous years. That's speaking to players. That's talking to coaches, and clearly the. Um, the result of that was that Rowan Smith was told that he wouldn't be required next year. So then at, at the end of the season, does this review amp up even further? Do they look internally and say how could how, what what went wrong and how could it be better? And the view, again, from player managers I speak to and, and, and other clubs is that there's going to be significant change, not just at the coaching level, but also in the playing group. And how, and how this manifests itself is going to be intriguing. Because Luke Beveridge is going nowhere. He's there next year. So they're going to work around him. Okay. What about... Adam Simpson, is is the expectation that he'll coach his last game at the Eagles this weekend? That is the expectation. And there's been some mixed messaging this week around Dean Cox and the Sydney Swans and his connection to the that West was really Coast Eagles. interesting. Tim Gossage was adamant on that. He was adamant that, um, that Dean Cox has been told, I don't want to misquote him, or certainly um, been suggested to him that if Simpson goes, that Cox is in the frame. But I just want to put a watch on one other person, Ashley Hansen. He's highly rated as an assistant in the top handful in the AFL. Everyone I speak to says that. He's at Carlton at the moment. He's a premiership player at the West Coast Eagles. Why is he not part of the Richmond coaching um, panel, or the sorry, Richmond coaching um, process? 
It, I don't know the answer, but I wonder whether the Eagles have had a word in Ashley Hansen's ear just to tell him to wait. Because to me, that would make the perfect sense. Highly rated coach. He's exactly what they want. He's a West Coast person. So I think it's just to watch Ashley Hansen. And the expectation is that Adam Simpson goes, but I can't confirm that 100% at the moment. And I don't think anyone quite has. Even Eddie Maguire has... Who, who rarely get, who never gets things wrong, has given himself a little out in case they change their mind. So I don't, I don't think Adam Simpson will coach next year and there'll be a big payout. Um, and I think that's probably what the club needs, a fresh start. How many jobs has Ashley Hansen gone for in the past head coaching roles? None. Testing me now. No, I no, can't. He came no. out. Of, he was involved in one of the jobs that he came out of last year. Uh, I think it was last year. Was he involved in the Giants process? Or was he involved in Essendon's process? Yeah, whichever one it was, he stepped out of it pretty early. That's right. So, so he, Does he have aspirations to be a head coach? Yes. Oh, we oh, he asked him, on, TV, we asked him on, on radio early in the season, and he said he does. He's very happy at Carlton, but he says he does. He's had a long career at uh, the Western Bulldogs, and now he's at Carlton. And it just intrigues me he's not part of this Tigers process because everyone seems to rate him so highly. And he is a West Coast person, so it all does add up. But... We'll wait and see how that plays out, Jared. But I don't think Adam Simpson will be coached beyond this year, but I can't quite confirm it at this point. Hmm. Do well, you? Do you um, think Simpson will be there no, next I year? Don't, I don't have a great read on West Coast. I was interested no. to read Jake Niles' stuff with two power brokers coming out yeah. in in his favour. I just don't, I'm with Hodge. I don't like any of this. No. Uh, there's, uh, and he'll get the full payout because they're not well, an well, AFL-assisted club. Mm. There you go. I well, kept my cool this week, Jared. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aligned with very you. aggressive last I week. I wasn't. Luke. I was just passionate. No, you were very aggressive. <laughs> if we talk on Wednesday morning and they've done it on Tuesday, as I expect that passion to be back. The news of the week for Repco Authorised Service. Penrite Oil Teddy and me. your local Repco Authorised Service. More of Crunch Time next. Take a look toward the games of round 24 for the TAC. Don't use your mobile phone illegally while driving TAC through this next phase of crunch time, but still deal with some of the issues at hand. What What is the latest, Tom, with the Richmond coaching process? So my understanding is it's down to five, but it's really down to three, Jared. So I don't think Xavier Clark's going to leapfrog Andrew McWalter and get the role. I'd be surprised if Daniel Gian Syracuse got the role, but he's in the hunt and he's at Essendon at the moment. So now their season's finished. That allows him to focus fully on that. The three are Adam Uze, <coughs> Andrew McWalter, <coughs> excuse me, and Chris Newman. And to me, the interesting thing about this coaching process is that you have four coaches who've coached their own team. Three have coached the VFL team. Andrew McWalter's currently coaching his own team. And Adam Uze. And you think, well, how can he be in the process if that's one of the one of the prerequisites. It's because he essentially coaches the Melbourne team on game day now. He's up in the box. He's done that since 2021. Simon Goodwin on the ground. He's the game day coach for the Demons. And Does he have the same pass, a path that Kingsley's taken? Adam Uze came second to Adam Kingsley last year and also second to Brad Scott. And Adam Kingsley had come second to about three or four different coaches before that. So yeah. it's not too dissimilar. Similar age, Adam Uze is 45 now. I just also want to say Melbourne Football Club has said, outwardly, Alan Richardson said it, and they've also told Adam Uze that even if he gets this Richmond job before a grand final, he'll be sticking around until the grand final. Is that normal? My memory of it is assistant coaches normally depart the club once they get a senior job elsewhere. Uh, our experience at Hawthorne, they've, they've left so the um, on the way through. So I think Bolton, yeah, yeah they've been... Yeah. Yeah. So the difference, the, That's di normal. The, the yep. difference here 
is that Adam Uze is more important to Melbourne than a normal assistant coach is at another club because he is that game day coach, and that's the difference. I still think it's Chris Newman as the favourite. I think there's a level of maturity in that in that stance as well. I think so. And yeah. the announcement might not come until after the grand final, but four of the five coaches in the hunt are now out of the race for finals at their current clubs. Uze is the only one left in. So the longer it goes, the more the more it favours Adam Uze. That's where it's at. Okay. Because everyone thought he was getting the GWS job last year. Yeah. It was pretty much put out there that he, it's his. And he would have got the Essendon gig if Brad Scott had decided to stay at the AFL. So he wasn't far away. He's been at Hawthorne. Now he's at Melbourne. I still think it's Chris Newman as, as the one just because they love him. And they told him to go away to Hawthorne in order for him to come back at some stage and coach the club. So whether it's now or in five or ten years' time, that was the message that he got. He's coached his own team at VFL level. He was a premiership coach. He was coach of the year the year before that uh, at Box Hill. And he's been under Sam Mitchell's wing ever since. How, how can he be in front of Uzo, who's effectively coaching Melbourne on match day, who's gone through the process three or four times, been, ex, uh, been in a system at Hawthorne that have won for premierships, Melbourne who have won premierships, who are now sitting in the top four for the third or fourth time, compared to Newman, who's at Hawthorne, who haven't played finals since he's been there. You know there's something romantic about a Richmond captain coming back and coaching the club. <laughs> that's, that's the one that's, we, that's we, get can't, we can't know that from the outside. That's the And the Giants' process was the latest reminder of that, as everyone was giving the job to Uze. Meanwhile, Kingsley was winning the job internally yep. in, a, in a head-to-head mm-hmm. race. So we can't know that. If you, if you have a club that has no history and it's starting today... Adam Uze is the clear frontrunner for that job. The difference here is that Chris Newman is so loved by players and staff at the Tigers, and they've told him to do what he's done, and now he's ready to come back. To say no would be to go against what they said in the first place. There's, there's, there's no doubt. There's, there's an yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it didn't turn out well for a while. <laughs> there's an affinity. There's an affinity you have with former. Uh, players. It's also dangerous, term, isn't it? It's it dangerous. can be, but it can also work out well. It, it, on, on occasions, it worked well. So mm. sometimes it works, but it doesn't. We view it always as it hasn't worked well if you don't win a premiership, because that's what we're all aiming for. But sometimes you get some pretty good coaches out mm. of it. They just don't win premierships. But, but surely it's if they've got a connection to the club all good and well, but surely it's the best person for the job at yeah. the time. If, yeah. if you're if you're going on the fact that he was a player, he was a premiership co- captain. He used to be here. He used to support our club. That's the wrong mindset to go in. If you're trying to appoint a person to run your football club. But if you split them and you say, we can't decide, you take the devil you know. The view from a few people I spoke to this week, a couple of people in particular who were very close to the situation, was that the heavy losses that the Tigers copped a couple of weeks ago really hurt Andrew McWalter at that point. Because until then, they were going along okay. Yeah. Um so it probably looked as if Andrew McWalter was a lay-down Mazaire to get this gig about four to six weeks ago. It's no longer that. And this process will allow each candidate to uh, deliver a presentation for 45 minutes and then receive questions for 45 minutes. And that's it initially. Whereas Essendon last year, I think Adam Uze was put through a two, two-and-a-half-hour process, which was extremely arduous. And your man, Jordan Lewis, was part of that process as well that made them sit there for so long. <laughs> he would have been bored in the two and a half hours. <laughs> Drinking his red wine, I think. <laughs> what will Damien Hardwick's arrival do in Queensland, Hodgie? Uh, I think it's it's what they need as far as... We've had no successful t- professional teams come out of Gold Coast. They've all been there for a while, whether it's the limelight, whether whatever it is, but they've had no, are, are you no mean, success. You, you mean any code? Any code. Basketball fell through. Gold Coast Titans have been no good. Any sporting... Is that coincidence or is there something about... 
the bright lights. I think it's a. I think it's a young guys in Gold Coast enjoy the life lifestyle, and then the older guys go there to retire. And what you do need is a strong figure who says this is the culture I'm going to bring to this football club. This is what we need. This is what we're doing. And I think Dimmer's got the points on the ball where whatever he says, players will listen. Players will say, "Well, he's a three-time premiership coach. I'm going to do exactly what he says." And and that's this is where he he realizes up there it's going to be a good opportunity. They've got a really good young list, but it's bring in a little bit of respect to a football club that's had none in their 13 years or however long, 12 years they've, they've had in the system. So uh, if you already listened to the people, even the fact that the Bud's had a connection there because Bud and Dimmer were at Hawthorne together. There's Bud's living on the Gold Coast. Does he reach out to Bud to go in there just to bring a little bit more of that experience, a bit of craft that Bud has learned over the, over the journey? That wouldn't have happened with many other clubs, has the many, name many other coaches. Hardwick meant more media hits and and. That will all come notifications with to the general public up there about yeah well, Gold Coast a, a lot of a lot of people that have moved up there they they've obviously got a connection with Richmond big football club with Dimmer because he's had success if you've got a coach that goes there that hasn't had much success it's like oh it's another person but he will bring a lot more well, I guess media eyeballs the amount that's been up in the up in the papers up in Queensland we we never really hear much of Gold Coast in Brisbane a, a lot, it's been a lot about Dimmer about how he's going to change this the success mm. he's had and then the fact is is Dusty going to come there's Bud there as well it's just brought a lot more voice about Gold Coast to to people in Brisbane mm. do you Queensland. think they could play finals under him first up uh no, I think they'll. He'll have to, especially with his system. The game style that he brings in was that high energy, high intensity work rate. That's not the football that they're playing at the moment. And you can't just flick a switch because he's a good coach. It needs twelve months. It needs eighteen months. It needs two years before they understand how he wants and for him to also mould and bring in certain pieces of the puzzle to help his game style. So I don't think they're going to jump straight up next year. They might might be pushing on the verge, but I don't think they'll just jump straight in there. Give him. Give him two years to, to two and a half years for him to get his system down pat with the, with their players. Our round 24 preview is for the TAC, where a seatbelt will face a $385 fine and three demerit points, a message from the TAC. Was was Simon Goodwin's concession on the Gorn Grundy situation, as well as being self-evident, was it significant? I thought it was very significant. I thought it was one of the lesser thought-out comments <laughs> that I've heard for some months. He's actually assigned... Uh, Clary now to a good tagger if you have one it showed that he didn't like it and Clayton Oliver didn't like it Um, and you can sit on him well enough the rider on it is second game back from a longish term injury is he still building but as soon as the tag was released he got plenty of the ball got seven possessions in quick time and kicked a goal after the tag was released. He had seven before it in two and a half to three quarters. So it showed that he was immediately able to flick the switch playing his own game at his behest and be really, really good. The the tenacity with which Goodwin, the words suggested, he severely disliked it. So I think he's assigned him to a tag each week now. <laughs> Oliver's life's about to get more difficult. Do you think the Grundy-Gorn concession ensures Grundy's elsewhere next year? I do. The language changed this week with Simon Goodwin and the, because it would have looked ridiculous had the language not changed. Everyone can see what's happening, and the club held firm for a long time. Brody Grundy played in the ruck last week in the VFL. He'd played forward before that. Um, there's conversations going on now behind the scenes between Grundy's management and other clubs that are informal but nevertheless happening. Port Adelaide, Sydney, Geelong. My question to, to you is, why would Melbourne send Brody Grundy to another contender? If he wants to go and be the number one ruck, 
Why would they not say, hey, North Melbourne, would you like a Ruckman? Or West Coast, you've lost Nick Natanui, would you like a Ruckman? Why would they make Port or Sydney or Geelong stronger? It also comes down to him as well. They've taken him on board, so he'll have to agree to wherever he wants to go. I, I, I can understand why Melbourne did it. I reckon what Melbourne did was okay. They went out there, they tried to make the best list. It hasn't worked, and they've realised before finals that this is not going to work. Uh, I, I still think that they, because of how they brought him in, they'll pass him to who, as long as the deals are even, who he wants to go to. Pick 27 is what they gave up for him. I wonder if they can get a pick in the late 20s back. Has Grundy's standing diminished in the last year or neutralised? So with with, with his he, contract, with his, is Collingwood still paying parts of his – how much of his contract is he still paying? About, yeah, about $250,000. So if they pass on to the next one, is it Melbourne's responsibility for majority of that or it's going to go between the three clubs? They'd have to renegotiate. But I checked, I checked with the AFL about a month ago and there is nothing in the rules to say that three or more clubs can't pay <laughs> Has for one player's contract. No, it's never <laughs> happened. Never happened. No. But it could happen, it could happen, um, it could happen if Adam Trelaw left. Yep. You know, so it's very much on the cards the more player movement – um, amplifies every year. You, to answer your question, you said, well, why wouldn't they mm. send him to a, uh, a team that is not in contention? So what you do, if, if Grundy's got to look at it, the three main aspects that make you move team is opportunity, payment, and lifestyle. I think his lifestyle is going to be all right, <laughs> given the payment he'll yep. be on. Also, and, premiership. You'd throw yeah, a premiership in there. Yeah, oppor- yeah. Opportunity as well. Well, yeah, we probably – he's always been at a team which is playing in front of mega crowds or Melbourne this year, capable of getting to the pointy end. So that's probably the rider on it why he wouldn't want – to go to a West Coast Eagles so quickly or, or, or a team that was down the lower end like that. If you just throw up a curveball at him, why wouldn't Carlton make a play for him? Well, they've just re-signed Tom DeConing and Mark Pitnett, I think, is on a four-year deal. So to then get Brody Grundy in is like Melbourne 2.0, isn't it? Yes, no. Okay, I'm <laughs> hearing that. The one thing I'd say about that, Pitnett, even on a four-year deal, is not costing you an arm and leg. Well, they've dropped him this week, so yeah. Tom DeConing's playing. Yeah. Um, what, what's De Koning's a long-termer who I don't think you want to punish his body until until he's 27 years of age. I don't think you want to have him in the ruck, lock, stock and barrel, getting punished. He's got to be floating in and out on occasion and at either end of the ground. Is there a moral obligation to look after Brody Grundy for Melbourne? Yep. Yep. This should end um, really civilly. They yep. should clearly get a second-round pick for him if any of those other clubs are serious. And he can walk into a great job in footy. And they can all just acknowledge that it was an experiment that didn't quite work. And that second round pick could be crucial because that could allow them to use picks for, uh, sorry, the pick that they have from Fremantle and their first pick to move up and get Gold Coast pick four, which they want. So the Gro- the Brody Grundy pick could be really significant in the trade period as well. Where, uh, where are Port Adelaide sitting? Because if I was Grundy, I'm looking at Port Adelaide going, that's that's my spot. That's with with, with their well. midfield, that's that's where I'm going. I think he'll end up at Port Adelaide. Ken Hinckley wants him, and, uh, and he's from Adelaide. You no. have he's a philosophical guy. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. He, I don't think he minds where he lands and lives. I think he'll philosophically deal with that okay. I think it's the opportunity, perhaps a, a bit of the success, and the dollars stay the same. All right, just rapid fire here. I just want to know who you're tipping in these games for Tyre Wright with over 25 tyre brands, steer, drive, trailer, and more. Tyre Wright, no tracking worries. TyreWright.com.au. Brisbane St Kilda, do you give it St Kilda any chance? Small chance. No, I give them a better chance than small. Brisbane should win. No king.
will the Bulldogs definitely beat Geelong? Yes. 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 And will Gold Coast beat North Melbourne? Oh, for <laughs> North Melbourne's sake, I hope so. <laughs> 21 in a row. With, a, le- with a leg in the air. <laughs> All right. Tire Right tips brought to you by Tire Right for best roadside tire emergency call 1-800-138-168. Luke Hodge has been resurgent with his SEN Survivor, so there's a lot that hangs on the next few minutes as to where he's going now. He's he's straightened himself out really well. It's quite surprising. It's not about playing well at the start of the season. It's about coming home strong. You don't win. Luke, you haven't played well at either end. You don't win premierships at the start of the season, mate. (laughs) Time in his run. All right, we'll get to that shortly. Here's a little bit of dabble with Josh Jeans. It's time to say hey to the social bet with dabble. Josh Jeans has joined us for a banter and a bet. Go on, have a dabble. You win some, you lose more. Thanks, Jared. Yes, download the Dabble app and get involved in the app and the banter channels, uh, in the AFL banter channels. This is a bit of an interesting, obviously, last game of the regular season, Heath Shaw and uh, some teams playing for nothing. Dead rubbers, what are the players, what's the players' mindset for that last little bit? The players' mindset's a bit different to the club's mindset because, as you can see at Geelong, they've put a few guys in for surgery with one game to go. Don't know if that's the right thing to do. I don't know if the supporters would love that, but obviously not really playing for anything. So get a week ahead of pre-season, get them in there early. But with such a tight contest in terms of the finals race, it, it makes it a bit controversial. But for players, you still go out there to win. You still go out there to play well. But it's fair to say that the tackle count in round 23 um, would be a lot lower in a dead rubber than it would be in a game that means a lot, Josh. So I'm not – you can read between the lines on that one, but I'm just saying I don't think players really want to get hurt. That was a Rat Pack special, I believe. That was most games they wanted to go out for the weekend, didn't they? Uh, Let's have a look at the uh, Hawthorne taking on the Dockers game. That's where we're going to focus our same game multis. Not a lot to choose from, to be honest. Warple is going to get 25-plus, going under 169.5 points for the match. And Luke Bruce... Can't see anyone else in that forward line kicking any goals. and Not that I know a lot of them, but I'm going to go Bruce three plus. I don't think I've watched that many Hawthorne games this year. Um, I've got Jaya missed two plus goals. He's had a great season. James Sicily, 25 plus disposals. He's had a super season. Um, And I've gone Fremantle plus 16 and a half. Even though it's in Melbourne, I just think they'll put up a bit of a show um, for their final game of the season. As long as there's no tackling, they'll be happy about it. That's for sure. Of course, you can copy those bets with one click. Just download the Dabble app, follow the Crunch Time AFL team, and hit the copy bet button. Back to you, Jared. See trending bets from profiles like Heath Shaw, Dane Swan, The Bev Show, and plenty of others. Get following Crunch Time and have a dabble. Go on, have a dabble. You win some, you lose more. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. This season has put together a great group of retirees. For Melbourne Legacy, supporting families of veterans for 100 years, donate this Legacy Week at legacy.com.au slash donate. Uh, What's happening with the Buddy Franklin lap at the SCG tomorrow, Tom? So that will take place during at halftime of Melbourne's game against the Sydney Swans tomorrow at the SCG. He'll return to the SCG where he left, I think even before his retirement press conference, Hodgie, after he uh, retired on that morning, he flew to the Gold Coast and... 
He'll be back at the SCG tomorrow. So many of his former Swans teammates will be there. Paddy McCartan will also be farewelled. And uh, there'll be a thanks buddy wall outside the ground where fans can write a message to him as well, which is a nice touch. And I guess the next question is, Hodgie, are we going to see him on grand final day as part of the motorcade? Uh, who, who would know? Hopefully. Well, yeah. you, you want to see. Look, everyone understood how good Bud was for the game, how good he was for Sydney. Uh, and I think there'll be a lot of supporters because Grand Final Day is not just about the two teams that are there. It's, it's a lot of just football lovers. So I think they'd they'd want to see Buddy going around on, on the last day in September. Who would know? You would know. Will I, he be there? That's why I asked. Yeah. Uh, I haven't asked him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully. Well, I'm, you I'm hoping... know him better than anyone. Will he go? I'd say more likely than not likely. Mm. But in saying that, I, I can't confirm. Jeez, I'm glad I'm putting your arm up behind I'm, your back then. Don't put your house on it. I don't know. I do not know. How are your Middle East peace negotiations going with the Hawthorne Premiership reunion, which seem to be documented day on day on day? Yeah, it's, it's going okay. It's uh, we're, look, we've, we've had a few catch-ups throughout the year. One was Easter Monday. We are trying to do something today with a few of the guys because the Round 24 schedule came out too late. We weren't able to organise much, but we're grand final week. We'll, we'll do a couple of catch-ups. One official one with the club and... One with just players and coaches where it's a quiet little bar and, a, and maybe a beer or two. Where are we? 2023? What? 10 years. 10. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. And are you, are you 23 conf- minus 13. Yeah. Are, you com- are, you confident <laughs> that, are you confident that Clarkson will be at the second part of it? Uh, the I, there, there's no doubt. We've, he's caught up with a lot of players over the last 12 months, so there's no doubt he'll be catching up with the boys and having to be grand final week for sure. Yeah, oh. Sometimes when you win enough, Luke, they come up every second he's year. Still di- he's, st- <laughs> he's still dirty that Tommy Mitchell didn't raise him with a premiership talk earlier. Oh, he, he, <laughs> he's, he's, you've cut up rough, haven't you? No, 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 he was offended. Facts. He was. <laughs> All right. SEN Survivor Hodgie's on a tear thanks to Berwick Motor Group, home of the GWM Cannon Range. He went the D's against the Hawks. Derv went the Giants against the Bombers, oh, and that was put away back. very early. Yeah, uh, where are you going here, Hodgie? I, I was looking at the Hawks and Fremantle, but I've whimpered away and gone. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone Port Adelaide versus a very depleted Richmond side. But I'm still very strong on the Hawks as well. All right, Port Adelaide. Derm? I am going for an actual outsider. I think they'll give us some heat, and they will play an elimination final. I'm once again going for the Giants. I think they will give us everything they've got in their soul. No Crips as well. So. Mm. And the, you know what? They lose Jesse Motlop up front as well. Ground level pressure. And I think the yeah that'll play into Giants' favour. Sam Doherty rested too. So Carlton taking all precautions ahead of week one of their final series. Yes. Yeah, so, and I wonder if they are locked to fifth by the time we get to five o'clock tomorrow, whether there's just not a couple of additional mm. changes as well, because you'd be mad not to, I think. Thanks to the Berwick Motor Group. Visits Berwick GWM Havel and Test Drive, the GWM Cannon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group. So do you think the Bulldogs or the Giants will be eighth when it's all said and done? Uh, I think the Bulldogs. Okay. And you're the Giants. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Cheers, that's, gentlemen. That's, that's unlike me and Doom disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> What's your comment saying? Keep digging, Hodgie. Keep digging. <laughs> He's still hurting, Hodgie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good crunching, Doom. Yeah. Brennan and Luke Hodge. Tom, thanks for sitting in with us today. Thanks, Jared. All, All right. Five. Round 24. Enjoy what's to come this afternoon. It gets better the longer that we go.